I love that imagery. Hang on to that. That's what we're aiming for today, overflow. We are in part two of a series out of the little letter to the church in Philippi. We call it Philippians that Paul wrote. And we're hitting some really important subjects today. I want to begin with this question. We'll put it on the screen. How many of you want a life that overflows with God's blessing so you can be a blessing to others? Who wouldn't, right? I mean, like, that is meaningful, significant life. So how do we get there is the question. We're going to jump right in with point number one, and point number one is this. Value what Jesus values. Value what Jesus values. To get us start to think that direction, let's hear from Jesus himself. Put on the screen, if you want to be great, learn to be the servant of all. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. That's Jesus in Mark 10, 43 through 44. We're going to be studying the rest of our time together in uh, Philippians 2, uh, verses 1 through 11. Probably, this is just my opinion, the most important couple of paragraphs in Scripture. And they're so, so very important, but here's what's really odd about that statement, as important as this section is, I also believe it's probably the most ignored and neglected section of scripture. And what Paul is doing in this section that we're gonna jump into is he is basically writing a commentary on the statement that we just saw up here, still see, where Jesus is explaining how to be great. And he runs not only a commentary, he goes way beyond that, explaining how Jesus modeled this for us and what he did to make this possible for us to live this kind of very counter-cultural life. And I think that's part of the problem that we're experiencing today is that we have such an immersion in the culture in which we live, we have a hard time living out what Jesus described and what Paul explains so clearly, why is it that we are neglecting and avoiding this passage? I believe the reason is this. Our hearts are off target. Aren't you glad you came today? (laughs) To start with such a piercing statement that's so true for where we're coming from, um, but maybe you don't even know how true it is because we haven't really got into this thing yet. So we're, we're talking about valuing what Jesus values, and we need to know what is it that Jesus values, and this is what Paul explains, and there's no if, ends, or buts. It's so clear what Jesus values, and Paul makes it so clear. We're going to make it clear up front, and then we're going to take a look line by line and see that it is that clear. Point number two is this, value others. Value others. So we're going to jump right into probably the hardest text to live. Oops, I tipped my hand a little bit. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the 
others. So I have a question for you. Here's the question. How many of you agree that this is a great value we should aspire to? All right. Excellent. I mean, you're, you're on target with your mind. You're on target with your beliefs. I'm right there with you. Totally on target with what we believe. Totally on target with our minds. I mean, this is the hidden secret of good parenting, right? Valuing your kids' interests over your own, over sleepless nights, and doing everything they need when they're just ruining your life. <laughs> right? But you're willing to take it because you love them so much and you're putting their interests above your own and you just go for it. This is the hidden secret to loving people. This is the hidden secret to a successful marriage. This is the hidden secret for changing ourselves. This is the hidden secret for changing our world. This is the thing that Jesus came to do to change our hearts and change our world and give us an ability to do this thing where we literally value another more than our self-interests. The next question I'm going to put up there, please don't answer it, okay? Just ponder it. Here's the question. How many of you think you have what it takes to pull this off consistently? Okay, so no shaking heads, no raising hands, just... Think about that. Now I'll answer. Are you kidding me? No. I don't have what it takes to do this consistently. Now maybe you think you've got this, but to me it seems impossible to live this out consistently. And here's why. It is impossible on your own to do this. And if you think you've got this, maybe you reoriented the question because I have God and I have Jesus and I have the Spirit and I've been learning how to do this and I've got this, but you really mean Jesus got this and he's making this work for you and I have Jesus, but I still frequently have trouble here. I'm just being honest. Frequently. The more I grow, the more close I get to God, the more I see in me that I thought I had together, but I don't. He shows me more. I am growing. I'm literally sinning less. That is a really good definition of growing, by the way. <laughs> but he's showing me, oh yeah, but you don't even look at that sin, or this one, or that one, and that blind spot, and that one. It's like, oh, it's just still have a long way for me to go. So, here's the next quote. When the end task seems impossible, start at the beginning. Now, we didn't start at the beginning of Paul's argument here. We just jumped right into the end goal, the end task, uh, the hardest thing about following Jesus, this pathway that Paul is going to describe, which Jesus made possible for us, and modeled for us, and gives us the Holy Spirit to make this possible for us, this thing that's so difficult in this life, in our culture, and I think more difficult in our culture than it has been in my lifetime, that uh, we've got to figure out how we do this. But we need to back up and start at the beginning. Now, another way to say this is with an equation, and it's a simple equation. I think we even know the answer. 
One plus two equals? Yes. I started at verse three. We need to start at verse one. Duh. Right? So we're going to back up to the beginning of his thought, and we're going to discover that Paul is using an if-then argument. If this and this and this, and this is your life, if you have Jesus in your life, if this and this and this, then, verse 2, and then you can produce, verse 3, 1 plus 2 equals 3. Now let's take a look. We're going to back up to 1 and take a look at this idea of through this if-then argument that Paul uses. Philippians 2.1, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, so let's pause right there, because he's going to go to the next verse, then we're going to hold a pause there for a moment. So we got this, if is true, then verse 2 is going to happen, and then we can produce verse three. This is the logic. We gotta start at the beginning, and so I'm just gonna kinda walk us through this. Now, the if-then argument is not saying, if this is true, make sure this is true, he's assuming it to be true for the Christians he's writing to, okay? Since this is true, if this is true, live as if it's so. If this, then this. He totally recognizes that so many things we believe in, we still aren't really good at living as if we believe them. And so he's pointing us back to, how could I put it? He's pointing us back to getting back to being dependent relationally on a savior. Think about this. Versus approaching these problem situations Actually, let's just call it like it is. These problem people in our lives, okay? Now he's talking to the church, and you'll notice if you've been reading with us each, each day, and at least through the whole letter every week, and, and you can even you know, text the church phone number. Um, by the way, if you have on my contact list my f- church phone number, the church phone number is me. I've been getting texts. That, no, you're, you're texting the wrong thing. So it goes to that number, and then uh, we'll get you on the list to get encouraged through this read-through Philippians each week thing, okay? Now, um, and you text the word overflow. So Andrew introduced that for us last week. That was great. And he's the one that's um, giving us the encouragement as we go. If, then... Now, I I cut myself in the middle of thought. If we are relationally dependent on Jesus for everything we need to pull this off, instead of rule-based religion and how we should fix this injustice or correct this division or aim for a solution, those are very different things. And he's pointing us all back to all the things we need in relationship, depending upon Jesus, when we don't value others the way Christ does. The assumption is here, in this church, like every church, there's division. There's difficulty. There's relational difficulty. 
The solution Jesus is proposing is that we learn how to value others more than we value ourselves in the dialogue. Here's how we do it. We got to back up to when we don't value others the way Christ does, we need to return to our Savior again, depending relationally upon him so that we can live out of the overflow of what he brings to us as a savior. Now, what I just said there is profound. Difficult to live when we're forgetting these basics that he's going to get to or that he's already gotten to in verse one. So let me put, you've got verse one on the screen. I'm going to put it in some other words. Look at the phrases, okay? Having trouble with others, unite again with Jesus Christ. Remember how encouraged you were when as messed up as you were, you were noticed, you were loved, you were forgiven. Having trouble with others, make sure you are experiencing comfort from Jesus' ongoing love for you, even though you are still, you are still a work in progress. Quit focusing on them. You're still a work in progress and Jesus loves you. Having trouble with others, make sure you are filled with God's spirit Jesus died for you to make this possible. Having trouble with others, make sure that the tenderness and compassion of Jesus is your experience so that you can overflow with his tenderness and compassion. Struggling with the tenderness and compassion because they hurt you? Back up to step one. (laughs) Okay? Work through the list. Get relationally connected to Jesus. You're forgiven, overly forgiven, Way more forgiven than the person that hurt you needs to be forgiven by you. Jesus forgave you everything. Okay? It's this, these are the ifs. Since this is true, then, now we're ready for verse two. Then, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and of one mind. Please notice, he's not just talking about difficult people we run into out there in the world. He's talking about difficult people and difficulties, even with people who are not difficult, on the inside. When we start to feel like we're crossed up, this is what he's addressing. And it's so important to Paul that he's running through this scenario all through the chapters in this letter. Here's the problem. We tend to fight the wrong battle. Which battle do we fight? The battle with each other. When Paul tells us in another letter of his, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battle is with the the enemy of our souls who is a master at pitting us against each other, if he can't get us to fall into sin, moral failure, and other things, he's going to get us to divide. So, Because if he can just get us divided, he guts the effectiveness and the beauty of the church. And so we need to fight the right battle. We're on the same team against a common enemy. So we got to love each other because we have both, all of us, been loved by Jesus completely, fully empowered to live out of the overflow, to love one another and forgive one another. Now, you have heard me say before, and it's a long story. I won't tell the story where God just 
almost kicked me in the pants. Almost audible, wasn't audible. He, he just was saying to me, stopping me midstream of my justice mode. He says, you are the most dangerous when you're right. Because in my mode of justice, I start pressing, pressing, pressing for correction and justice and I give myself a pass because I'm doing the right thing. I give myself on the pa- a pass and I'm doing it in all the wrong ways. My tone is wrong. My outlook is wrong. My words are wrong. And I might even be addressing a thing that's not even really a sin but I'm angry, and it's like my opinion about what's right in this thing, and now I'm addressing an opinion and crossing some lines where now I'm sinning while I'm correcting a thing that isn't a sin. Ooh. Now, I know you're not like me. I mean, you've got this thing down. You've got Jesus in your life, and you only say nice words when people hurt you. And you're able to love them even though they're prickly. So I'm going to hang out with you a little bit more so I can let you rub off on me. Now, just in case it hasn't gotten through to you, I picked up a story that's an old story. I'll tell you midstream how old. Um, Richard Dunnigan writes, and this is entitled, it's just short, it's The Seemingly Right Thing. At their school carnival, our kids won fourth. Free goldfish. Lucky us. You ever been there and win a goldfish? Okay. So out I went Saturday morning to find an aquarium. The first few I priced ranged from $40 to $70. Now, this was written in, and I got this from a book, copyright 1993. Aquariums have gone up, you know, so you're going to have to translate. Then I spotted it right in the aisle, a discarded 10-gallon display tank complete with gravel and filter for a mere five bucks sold. Of course, it was nasty dirty, but the savings made the two hours of cleanup a breeze. You guys like good deals? I'm not sure that's a good deal, but anyway. These four new fish looked great in their new home, at least for the first day. But by Sunday, one had died. Two bad, but three remained. Monday morning revealed a second casualty, and by Monday night, a third goldfish had gone belly up. We called in an expert, member of our church, who had a 30-gallon tank. It didn't take him long to discover the problem. I had washed the tank with soap. An absolute no-no. My uninformed efforts had destroyed the very lives I was trying to protect. Sometimes, in our zeal to clean up the lives of others, we unfortunately use killer soaps, condemnation, and criticism. We think we're doing right, but our harsh, self-righteous treatment is more than they can bear. Now, I'm pretty sure all of us have experienced both sides of that equation. We tend not to remember when we've been the ones who are doing this because we're right. Now, be really careful if you're always right because you're not, okay? It really doesn't matter if you're right. Jesus was right. 
He could have done this, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't apply the killer soaps to Matthew, the tax collector, everybody else's. He just looks at him, notices him, loves him, and says, come, follow me. Totally different approach. He always does what's best for the other person. Now, I know you Bible people out there go, oh, 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 he was mean to the Pharisees. That was what was best for the other person. He couldn't get through with grace. He couldn't get through with kindness. He couldn't get through with truth. He has to get through with hard truth, like a nutcracker when the pride is that hard. He's doing what is best for the other person. But we often apply hard criticism to a soft person. And they can't take it. They're not trying to be resistant of everything righteous. So let's not apply the soapy cleaning solutions. Let's use the solution Jesus used, which is self-sacrificing, self-sacrificing, serving solutions. Coming alongside, encouraging, self-sacrificing, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit, forbearance, doesn't just mean not dealing with it. It means accepting the pain they've caused me. Think of an ink ball thrown at you. (laughs) Leaves a stain. Grab the ball. Don't throw it back. Put it in your pocket. Let it bleed through your pants. Keep doing that, and soon you look like Jesus because he throws back love. He throws back forgiveness. He absorbs every hurt. And this is what's going to be described as we continue. One plus two equals three. Now let's take a look at verse three and four again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Jesus did what was best for the other person always. Philippians 2.5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now Paul's going to go on to describe from this point forward, verse 6 all the way through verse 11, what that looks like, Christ's mindset. But he has just told us, this is the mindset you need to have. Let me describe it to you as it's consistently lived out. Follow him. You might notice if you have a a Bible in your hands that this section that he's going to use, verse 6 through 11, is set apart, uh, formatted differently. We're not sure. Scholars aren't sure whether Paul, because he's in prison, has all this time, wrote this song. It doesn't write the way he writes everything else. It's a song or a poem just in the likeness of the Psalms. But if he didn't write it, All of these theological truths were already being circulated in a hymn that was familiar, and he's using a familiar hymn to help instruct everybody about how to live on this path called Christianity. That's what we call it. How to follow Jesus and what it looks like. This is the path. Let's begin to read it. Starting at verse 6. 
All right, first of all, we'll catch up to speed in your relationships with one another. This is within the church. One another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Just uh, seems like a couple months ago I spent some time here because it just shocked me the contrast between the very nature of who he is as God is being set aside so he doesn't function in power and authority. He's going to take on the very nature of humility, which is humanity. So it just like hit me, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He's made a man. Voluntarily. And he's going to show us what it means to be human. Because God designed us from the beginning that we would be people who are filled to overflowing as servants. That is what we are designed for, to overflow and bless others and to bless God. That is our purpose. Now, that should resonate with you because the most important commandments are to what? Love God and love others. And how do we love God? Serving God and serving others. But Genesis describes how everything went wrong. Adam and Eve took us down. All humanity went down with them. But let's not blame them because their story is repeated in our story. Yes, we inherited us in nature, but we repeat the story. We trade away God's design for us because we prefer serving ourselves. And that's why we have so much trouble with this passage of Scripture to the degree that we ignore it when we're hurt by somebody else. We ignore it rather than live it out. We'd rather avoid it than deal with it. We believe it, but we say we can't do it. Nor should you expect us to. So we bypass all the ifs, and we approach it more from a standpoint of self-made religion. Nope, not doing that. I just love Jesus and ask for forgiveness. And Jesus says, forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven our debtors. Lord, forgive me my debts as I have forgiven my debtors. Once we start setting that aside, is he going to come through on that? Where he's not going to forgive us because we won't forgive others? I'll just put that as a question. We're in danger zone when we're not living this out well. Simply put, on the screen, our pride breaks God's design for us, but Jesus' perfect humility makes it possible to restore it, restore the design of our lives, to be a servant that lives out of overflow. Verse 8, still describing Jesus and his continued downward path of serving from the pinnacle of being in very nature God opting to come to earth, go dumpster diving for us, and more. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Now I want you to put your uh, listening minds really at work here because I'm going to shift from just kind of saying it from my heart to just reading something. It's always dangerous because you, my voice tends to lull you as I read. Don't let that happen. Jesus sacrificed himself to save us so that we can be restored to our design to live in the overflow. Let's revisit that overflowing cup image we saw at the beginning. We are designed to be like that glass cup overflowing with Jesus, the living water, blessing us to be a blessing. We chose instead to be defiled and filled our lives with sewer rot, thinking a self-centered life was actually more fulfilling than God's design for our lives. Even though this was our story, Jesus held back from judging us and came to give us grace instead. He did this so we can do this for others. His cross makes us sparkling clean glasses again. Being transparent before God is the better way. No more hiding. We are free to confess and to be cleansed. Through Jesus, God raised us up from death to life, filling us with God's Holy Spirit. He blesses us to be a blessing to others. Because of Jesus' victory, we can now create a chain reaction of grace and kindness that comes from Jesus through us for others. It's how you change the world. But it starts with me. Say that with me. It starts with me. Again, it starts with me. Not doing anything out of your own interests, but beginning to do things out of the interest of others. That is so countercultural. We're going to look like a bunch of weirdos. People will not understand it. But when the world is as messed up like it is. Normal isn't working. It's time for us to be weird. Just like Jesus. Will it be easy? No. On the screen is a statement, God designed us and saved us to be a blessing to others out of the overflow. Will it be easy? No. Will it cost us? Yes. But anytime you start to wonder if stepping down the humble path of serving the interests of others is worth it, it can't be worth all this pain. It can't be worth all that stain. It can't be worth this pain where I just take it and take it and take it. I can't take it anymore. It can't be worth it. When you start to go there, remember to back up. Step one. Step two. Remember to get back to the beginning because it's impossible with you. Go relational. Go back to the cross. Get back to Jesus. And remember this, point number three, humble yourself and God will raise your value. Humble yourself and God will raise your value. If you keep protecting your value, fighting for your value, raising your own value, it's not gonna be as great as if you follow Jesus and let God raise your value. Just in case you don't believe me, watch how God the Father raised the value of Jesus the Son to finish out this hymn, this section. 
of this letter. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of Verde Valley Christian Church's values is that we are for the Verde Valley. That's why I wore this shirt. I feel rather uncomfortable wearing a t-shirt and preaching in front of you, but here's the point. You can't be for the Verde Valley until you're effectively for one another. If there's difficulty between us, we need to figure out how to forbear or communicate love or come alongside or serve one another or figure out what's the best interest of the other instead of pushing each other aside. It all starts with the mindset. Look at verse 5 again. Verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have this mindset of Christ Jesus. We just saw it described. It's a mindset that you have to choose. So we're left with important and difficult questions like, what will you do with this fundamental truth about taking up the mindset of Jesus in your relationships with one another? What are you doing for others, and what will you do for others? I'm asking the prayer team to go get ready to pray for us. I don't know what God will bring up in your heart and mind, and whether you're going to need prayer, or whether you came so loaded down you can't even hear me, unburden and get some prayer um, for that load. Right now, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, this battle is hard. And you came and gave us a victory, but we're still midstream in two overlapping kingdoms. But we want your kingdom in us, your reign and rule of peace and love and joy, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these overflowing character attributes that are a description of who you are coming right through us to touch those around us. Help us to learn how to come to you, to have our interests covered by you, and serve others with what you've given us out of overflow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See you next week.